Bnei Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, Bimeirav Yamenu, Rabbi Chaim Bravender, a special talk for Yom Yerushalayim. I'm going to try to, uh, I want to say something about Yerushalayim. So everybody knows that Yerushalayim is, is special, that the Beis HaMikdash was in Yerushalayim. But what exactly is special about Yerushalayim? Like, it is special that the base of Migdash was in Yerushalayim, but that's theoretically at least the base of Migdash could be anywhere. The Torah, when it tells us that there'll be a base of Migdash, always says, that the base of Migdash will be built in the place that a Kaddish Baruch chooses to build the base of Migdash. It's not so clear why the Torah says that. But the Torah, as you know, never mentions the, the city of Yerushalayim. It's never mentioned the Torah. It's that one mention which you can, which is that, you know. Who? Oh? Well, good. Right, show that. Just tell me the rest of it. No, I'm I said the Torah, you're right. So what does it say? Nobody knows? Yeah, who is Melech Shalem? Who, who? Like he said, it's called Melech Shalem. So, it's probably true that Shalem is the name of Yerushalayim. Right? Because you know that the word Yeru, Yeru, means city in Sumeria. This may not be the most important piece of information that you've ever gathered but it will, you can use it to astound your friends. Yeru means city, and Shalem is the name of the city. So Malkitzedek was the king of Shalem, it's probably reasonable to assume that that's the same city as the city we're talking about, but we call it Yerushalayim, and that city is never mentioned in the Torah, strangely enough. It's mentioned in the Tanakh. Uh, 99% of the time, 90, 95% of the time, spelled as a Kriyutzif. Right? How's the Kriyutzif of Yerushalayim? Hmm? Where was the Yud is missing? Yud is missing, but the vocalization is almost always Yerushalayim as though the Yud was written there now you may not believe this but you could check it out but you know it's it's something that can be checked out easily it's an easy one you just take it concordance and you take a look and you'll see that even though Yerushalayim the name appears many times in the Tanakh almost all of those times it's spelled without a Yud at the end Yerushalayim but the vocalization, when you look at the dots, the dots are always Yerushalayim. And therefore, it's what we call a Kri But it's not usually, the Kri is usually not designated in the margin of the Pentateuch because there is this idea that, that this word Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, is a Kri what do you think that means? 
Il Non, pas Hashem. Hashem, you're right. In other words, a creed to be meet, be means it's always spelled one way, but you always read a different way. And therefore, you don't have to, every single time, write that it's a creed in the margin. You don't have to do that. Another word, correct, correctly, is uh, yud ke vav ke, which is always read, almost always read, alef dalad nun yud. Whereas that's called a creed to me deep. You never read it yud ke vav ke. You always, almost always read it out of Dalad Nun Yud. Sometimes you read, you read it Elohim. Like sometimes. That's like a, that's like a bit of a quirk. So Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is not mentioned in Torah. But there is a hidden mention of Yerushalayim in the Torah. And that hidden mention of the Torah is in, of Yerushalayim in the Torah, besides Yerushalayim, is in the Pasuk about Birkas HaMezo in the parish of Ekev which says V'chalta v'savota v'verachta es Hashem Elokecha al ha'aretz ha'tova that's the Pasuk or that's at least half the Pasuk now you know that Birkas HaMezo when we bench after we eat it's like a little odd the, the more simple way of benching is what we call the bracha chroma. Because the bracha chroma starts Baruch Hashem and ends Baruch Hashem. And that's how a bracha should be. You start with Baruch Hashem and end with Baruch Hashem and have something in the middle like something about eating and happy and feel good and thank God. That's a, that's a good benching. What's odd about the benching that we do well what's odd about it is that there are three brachot that we say it's true that we say four brachot right but the fourth bracha is the bracha of Torah Metiv and that was added on later that was clearly not part of the original benching but the original benching even though the Gemara says that the first bracha was Metukan by Moshe Rabbeinu and the second bracha was the bracha of Yahushua bin Nun and the third bracha was the bracha of David and Shlomo but nevertheless in spite of that somehow that those are the original that's part of the original Birkas HaMozon whereas the fourth bracha is not part of the original Birkas HaMozon so let's go back again Birkas HaMozon has three brachas right that's a little that's a little odd because the first bracha is Hazon es hako. Well, that sounds like a good Birkas Hamazon thought. God sustains all. The second bracha is Al Ha'oretz Al Hamazon. Right? Somehow, some combination of Eretz, of Eretz Yisrael, and Eden. What? What's the difference between saying the bracha hazan es hakol and saying ha'aretz v'aramazon and if bracha number two is better than bracha number one why not just say bracha number two instead of saying bracha number one it's like a little odd <coughs> then we come to bracha number three bracha number three is a miracle how was it? how's this phone? is it on? it works it works bracha number three bracha number three in Birkas HaMazon is 
Bracha number three is the bracha of Yerushalayim. No, that's bracha number four you refer to. Bracha number three is the bracha of Yerushalayim. Now what does Yerushalayim have to do with Birkas HaMozov? Like you say, Uvenei Yerushalayim ir HaKodesh Right? Bohato Hashem, Bonei And say bracha Movi. Don't say bracha Bonei Yerushalayim That's a very nice bracha but what does it have to do with Birkas Amozo? I mean, that's a good bracha for Shvon Esra, isn't it? For Shvon Esra, you say Hashirah Shafteinah Kurishonah, Tzadikim, you say Yerushalayim Ilcha, Esemach Dove, you say a good, like redemption. That's the redemptive, the redemptive path, right? The path of redemption. And Yerushalayim is part of that path. So it's a good bracha for Shvon Esra. What's it got to do with Birkas Amozo? What's he got to do with Birkas Amozov? So in the Gemara, in Brochus, the Mem Chesom and Beis, in the Gemara, Brochus, Mem Chesom and Beis, there's a Brosha of the Pesach. It says, Al Ha'aretz HaTova. Al Ha'aretz is the Brocha, Al Ha'aretz Ra'al HaMozov. And HaTova is the Brocha of Yerushalayim. So that the Gemara says, well, it comes from the Pesach. Comes to the pasuk. Okay, so it comes to the pasuk. So that really doesn't help us. So why? Why does it come from the pasuk? Why does the pasuk want us to mention Yerushalayim? What does Yerushalayim have to do with Birkas Hamazon? That, that's the question. You have the question. Try say it again in a different way. Uh-huh. There's a pasuk in the Torah. In Shmos, Paraglam Adrav, Pesach Zayin. Shmos, Paraglam Adrav, Pesach Zayin. There, the Torah discusses how the Mishkan was actually going to be going to be built. It's a Parsha Vayakel. Parsha Vayakel. And it says that there were two people who were really involved in building the base on the Mishkan. One was named Bitzalel, and the other was named Aliyah. Aliyah, a street very close to my house. Just in case somebody asks you where Aliyah is, you just say, it's close to my house. Bitzalel, everybody knows where Bitzalel is. Bitzalel got a really big street. In Yerushalayim, but Aliyah, who was his assistant, got a kind of out of the way street. What can you do? Some people don't even have a street. But Bitzalel and Aliyah have streets in Yerushalayim. So Bitzalel and Aliyah went to build the Mishkan. They went to build the Mishkan, and they took all the stuff that was collected, that was donated, the gold and the silver and the tapestries, and they built the Mishkan. And they built the Mishkan. And then at the end of that parasha it says, And when they, there was enough stuff for them to do all the work that they had to do. In other words, they collected, there were donations that were given to the Mishkan. People came and donated. And these donations were sufficient. So there was enough stuff to build the Mishkan plus leftover raw materials right Vehoser. Well, so this is a curious thing I mean what do we care 
there's a little left over or what's any left over I mean why does the Torah have to tell us this tell us that there was left over that there was left over stuff so I'll tell you an interesting thing the Balaturim on that Pesach says that the answer to this mystery is a Pesach in Divrei Hayomim Beis Perak Lamed Aleph Pesach Yud right you know that the Balaturim you know the Balaturim right the Balaturim why is he called the Balaturim because he wrote the Torah that's good so I guess the Balaturim knew Divrei Hayomim Beis Baal Pek because he didn't have a conclusion. He just said, look at this post in the Bibra Yom and Base. So we'll go and look at it. Bibra Yom and Base. Paraglamid Allah Posagut. Paraglamid Allah Posagut. It says here in that Posuk, something about Chizkiyot was talking to the Kohanim about their work, about what they're going to have to do. And he said, He says, he says to the Kohanim, when they bring the Truma, when the Jews bring the Truma, this present to the, to the Beis Hashem, Eat, be satisfied, and you're going to find that you have a lot left over. Ki Hashem es amo. Because God blessed His people, and that which is left over goes to this, go to all the people together. You see, in this pasuk, it has those words: Achal, Sava, Berach. What pasuk is that in the Torah? The Achalto, the Savata, or the Rachta. Yes, and therefore the Baal Torah says, says like this: Why did the Torah tell us? That when Bitzalel and Aliyah made, why the Torah when Bitzalel and Aliyah made the Mishkan, that after they finished building the Mishkan, there was stuff left over. Hmm? But his answer is because building the Mishkan doesn't only enable you to do the Avoda in the Mishkan, but you get a side benefit. You get a side benefit. What's the side benefit you get from having a Mishkan? You get abundance. You get more than you really need. And that's what Chizkiyot said to the Kohanim in Bibra Yom. That Mishkan is about abundance. It's about having more than you really need. And therefore, we are v'savoto u'veyrachtos. When you thank God, why do we thank God? Why do we say Birkas Amazon after we ate? Why do we say Birkas Amazon after we ate? Why do we say Birkas Amazon before we eat? Like all the other brachas that we make, the Birkas Hananim, we say, Thank you God for the bread. Thank you God for the apple. Right? That's what we say. So why do we say, Thank you God for the food before we eat it? Alright, we say, But we could bench. We could say Birkas Amazon before we eat. So according to the Balaturim, because according to the Balaturim, why do we bench? What's included in the benching? Not just that we ate and that we're satisfied for that which we ate, but we're thanking God for abundance, for that which is even left over. We have more than we need. So that the base Hamidbash is connected according to the Balaturim 
is connected to Birkas Hamazon because the base Hamikdash represents that we have more than we actually need. That's the Yachalta Bisavata Virachta. And that's why you have to say Birkas Hamazon. When do you have to say Birkas Hamazon? After you eat. Because when you finish eating, it's only when you finish eating that you know that there's something left over. You know that you had more than you really needed. And therefore the Birkas Hamazon, according to the Balaturim, has to come at the end. At the end of the meal. And so Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, which is the place of the base Hamikdash, is connected to Birkas Hamazon. Because the Bracha that HaKadosh Bochu gives B'nai Yisrael when the base Hamikdash is there, is the Bracha of the Hoseh. More than you need. Not what you to the Balaturim, the base Hamikdash, Yerushalayim, has a very special connection to the notion of Birkas HaMazon because in the world, in the, in the proper world, or in the properly constituted world, the world that has a base of Migdash and Avodah Hashem in the base of Migdash, we have this feeling of the Hoseh, that the Brocha that we get from the Shamayim contains even more than we need and not just, and not just, uh, not just what we need. Uh, there's no doubt that, uh, that if you ask people if you ask people uh, the street, you know, why they're so, you know, people say there's a natural consensus about Yerushalayim. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but let's say it means something like this. That everybody thinks that Yerushalayim belongs to, to us. In a way that not everybody thinks that Yudav Shalom belongs to us. Right? There's some difference. There's some difference between Yerushalayim and Yudav Shalom. That means it could be it could be the result of some kind of public relations campaign. But, but on the other hand, I mean, it's really true. It's very true that the way the, the, the Eretz Yisrael is organized, the Eretz Yisrael is organized, there's Eretz Yisrael and there's Yerushalayim. And they're not the same. Eretz Yisrael is the place that I live and I do the Torah life. I live the Torah life and I do the mitzvot. But Yerushalayim represents a distinction, something that is different about me and the way we live in Eretz Yisrael from the way other people live in other places. And that difference is called Brocha. That's the difference. It's not so much in what we do, I mean, we do mitzvot, but that's not the point. The point is that Yerushalayim is what guarantees, Yerushalayim guarantees the Brocha to Klal Yisrael, to the people who are living in Eretz Yisrael, and therefore, for some reason, intuitively, I mean, people understand that they can't give way, they can't give in on Yerushalayim. It's too essential. It's too essential to the to the nature of our, uh, our national definition. I mean, that's who we are. We're the people who are seeking bracha, but I don't think we're seeking bracha in a way that uh, is mercenary. In other words, interested in money or they're interested in things, but we're interested. Bracha means there's more from God than you would expect. And therefore, the connection to God's presence in the world is greater than you would ever hope for. That's what bracha. That's what bracha is, and that's the Rene Yerushalayim Yakodesh from Herod Yameno. There's no doubt uh, I, that when I came, I came to Eretz Yisrael in 1965. No, I mean, I mean, I'll say that over again. I came to Eretz Yisrael in 1965. That's true. When I came to Eretz Yisrael, we used to stand in Abu Tor. You know, stand in Abu Tor. You can go today to Abu Tor. But there's no fence. There was a fence in Abu Tor. You know, there's a street in Abu Tor that looks. All the apartments look out over 
the base Hamikdash, the Mokom Hamikdash, you could see the Mask of Omar, that silver dome, the silver dome and the yellow dome, right? Uh, from from that place, and there was a fence, and we used to go there. We used to go there and look at it. And the Jordanian soldiers were on one side of the fence, and the Israelis and the Israeli tourists were on the other side of the fence, right next to each other. There was no space. There was no no man's land. It was just a fence. And the Jordanian soldiers always looked good, and they were always smiling, and they smoked American cigarettes. And the Israelis never smoked Israeli cigarettes. Couldn't get you very hard to get American cigarettes in those days in Israel. Israel was a backward country. In those days, people still smoked. And and people used to stand there and look at the mokom of the base of Migdash, and knowing knowing that that the whole thing that something had had gone awry. Religious people, non-religious people. I mean, there, there was no. There didn't seem to be any real connection between whether you were Shomer Mitzvahs and the agony that you felt about not being able to go to the Kotel, for example. You couldn't go. And in 1967, in 1967, when the uh, old city was uh, freed and everybody was able to go to the Kotel Maravi, you know that the first thing they did was that they tore down the, the, the Arabs had built a slum in, in front of the Kotel Maravi you know like what today is like a big empty space in front of the Kotel you know there's a big uh, I don't know what to call it a piazza or something it's like there's this in Hebrew they call it a rachava in, in English I guess it's yeah is it a plaza I mean, it's like like it could be something but it isn't anything it's just a big empty space so that big empty space was filled with houses with little houses but not nice houses slum houses it was all very inexpensive and poor uh, houses so the Israelis what they did was they relocated all those people I mean I don't think they asked them but they relocated those people and, and Moshe Dayan was the one apparently was responsible he got all the Kablanim in Yerushalayim all the builders in Yerushalayim he called them up or the ones he knew and everybody who had a tractor uh, drove his tractor over and they vied for the schus of knocking down the houses and they just knocked down all the houses and they took all the rubble out and they made this great Rachava, this, this empty space and then they opened it up they opened up on Shavuos right, Shavuos is coming they opened up on Shavuos to all of the uh, you know, all the people and uh, I think everybody in the country came that day and you had to walk you had to walk because it was Yantif and uh, they wouldn't let you in so you had to walk from Hartzion over to the Kodesh you walked in you walked in through Hartzion and then you came out through Shar Shechem you know like it was a circle everybody was in the circle you just walked you kept walking and of course you walked in to Shar to Hartzion clean but you got to the Rechava it was all dirt dust and dirt right you came out and you had to get a shower right everybody every single person you could see like the film like here is on one end the people snaking in are all clean and the people sneaking out are covered from head to toes 
by this white dust, you know, it's called like uh, the Israeli version of leprosy that you get. And you go through, we go through these, but it was remarkable. It was remarkable. Today people talk about, about unity in Israel. Unity is a word that people like to use. And, and at that moment, at that moment in time, it seemed that everybody agreed. All the people in Israel were in agreement that this was right. That, that having the opportunity to go to the Koto, to Daven, that was the right that was the right thing. Subsequently, of course, in the last 30 years, we've found ways of fighting even about, even about that. But at that moment, at that moment, you saw like something was very deeply ingrained in the people. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, what was it that they were so excited about it? And what were they so happy to spend, take this three-hour walk around the old city just to get themselves covered with dust from head to toe? But they felt, everybody felt together that this was right. It was right that Yerushalayim, that the Kotel should be uh, accessible to all the Jews of the world, and that that meant something to them. It was different. It was a different kind of state of Israel that had this accessibility to the Kotel than the state of Israel did previously when that accessibility was not, was not given to us. So that there is a uh, I don't know if this has any legal validity or any kind of real standing but there's no doubt that the Jewish people as a people as a group you know even though we, we're all different from each other we're, we're not all religious or we're not all Zionists or we're not all uh, uh, involved in, in our culture or in our history but somehow at that moment in time Yerushalayim became the great unifier there wasn't anyone who didn't want to be at the Kotel on that day <coughs> and made it their business, ever made their business to come to the Kotel, to the Kotel, to be part of that, uh, of that process on that, on that day. So you see, on the one hand, uh, the Gemara sees that the Valtorium understands that Yerushalayim is connected to the adoption of Bracha in a special way, and the special way that it's connected to the Bracha is the Hoser, that there's more, that Yerushalayim gives you more, and you saw in, in our own times, and you saw that when Yerushalayim became accessible in 1967 to the Jewish people, there wasn't anyone, it seemed at the time, there wasn't anyone who, who passed over that opportunity, and who didn't come to just walk by the Kotel and do that which they were not able to do for the previous, uh, for the previous 20 years. In fact, they were never able to do it because for the last 2,000 years, or 1,800 years, there was a street in front of the Kotel, right? The Kotel, I mean, you have to understand that the old days, you know, they talk about how before 1948 people used to go to the Kotel, to Davin or Shani and Kippur. You have to understand the Kotel, this is like, if this is the Kotel, the Havdil, where it says, you'd see at right? That was the Kotel. So the house, the house was over there, the houses. And in front of the Kotel was a street. It, there wasn't any place to daven. It was a street. And because it was a street, the wall, that wall was like the wall of the street. And on the other side, there were the walls of the houses. So people used to walk back and forth on the street. Because it was declared a street by the Turks, they didn't allow you to daven there. It would be tantamount to davening in the subway. You know, can you imagine people getting together down in the subway? Unthinkable. Alright, they, they do it. We did it also when we were kids, but well, we, we didn't do it so. 
Well, we, you know, like dabbling in the subway, it seems like it's uncalled for. You don't dab in the middle of the street. You go someplace. So the Jew said, what do you mean in the middle of the street? That's the Kotel. And the Turk said, no, no, that's the street. They put up a street sign. They banged the street sign onto the Kotel. There was like one of these black street stars and it said, and that was the name of the street. That because So you weren't allowed to dab in there because it was a street. So Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, people used to come, and they would dab in Shachris and Kriyasatera, someplace in the old city. Now everybody find a little hole, a kuch. They find like a little thing. They say, okay, this is a shul. They dab in Shachris, Rosh Hashanah, Shachris, and then they had Kriyasatera. And then they would sort of saunter over to the, is that a word? They like move over, mosey over to the street of the Kotel, right? They mosey over to the street of the Kotel. <coughs> and then some guy would take out a chauffeur, start blowing chauffeur, right? The Mitzvah, clear chauffeur. Where the Turkish police would come and chase them away. Because you can't do this, it's not. You go back to wherever you're supposed to dump it. And then they would either get in 30 keys or not get in 30 keys and they'd go back. To, to Davin wherever they Davin in the old city so that was called Davening that was called Davening and Yom Kippur everybody knew all the Turks knew that they, somebody's going to blow chauffeur at the end of Yom Kippur there's this guy Segov a very famous Alabamasha fellow who, who for years used to blow chauffeur it was like a game he used to come and he'd have the chauffeur stuck in his kapata suplex you know what say underneath and he would be he would come in disguises sometimes he would be disguised as an Arab or disguised as and then all of a sudden, you know, the time for for Ois Yantiv would come. After Yom Kippur, he had to blow a tear. Outside the show, he started blasting. In would come the Turkish police, you know, and they'd say, you can't do that. This is like, you know, the noise. There's a noise law, you know, or whatever. So this was, this was the Kotel before 1948. Not 1948 to 1967, when, when it was, we couldn't go there at all. But before 1948, we also couldn't go there. They have to understand. It's not like today, we see like they made it into a shul, they with separate seating, and then uh, you go to the back, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, what do you call that, a, a gallery in the back, and you have all kinds of strange mignonim here, and a strange mignon there, and, 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 and normal mignonim in the front, and something underground for cool, or get a little cool air, and then there's a little archaeological display, you know, you think like, like this is really, this is really an operation. But before 1948, before 1948, before the state of Israel, there wasn't anything like that. Also the Kotel was ten rows, ten rows that you see in the Kotel, right, you look, like you look from the bottom, you count ten rows. You all count together? If, you sta- if you're standing in front of the Kotel, like you're standing tomorrow morning, and you look and you count ten rows from the bottom, <coughs> all of that was underground. <coughs> it was all underground. That means that this Kotel, where you couldn't dive in because it was a street, and there were houses right next to it, and, and, and people throwing garbage from their houses out into the street, as they are wont to do, right, right in front of the Kotel, the Kotel was much smaller. You couldn't see, it, it was like this big. Like today it's this big, then it was this big. But you know that on top of the Kotel, you see on top of the Kotel there are those little stones? You know, it looks really awful. No? If you look at the Kotel, the Kotel was made of these massive stones that weigh, where's Rabbi Wall? 
like 20 tons each. Right, like they take these massive rocks, they rolled them over there somehow and piled them up and made a wall. But if you look at the top of the cocoa, you guys ever ever there? Never there? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. When you look at the top of the cocoa, you see like 10 or 15 rows of bricks. Not little bricks, big bricks. You know, stone bricks. 10 or 15. You know what that was? When Sir Moses Montefiore So Moses came to the Kota, you know, he was a Kohen. <coughs> he arranged them to carry him around in the Harabayas, like in a, in a, uh, what do you call that? Like a livery. He, so he, has, he sat in the seat, four guys carried him into the Harabayas, four Arabs. And he like sitting around, he looked at the Kota and said, how come it's so low? I guess he said, it meant that in Margate, they had much higher walls. <coughs> So he said, how come the Kotel is so low? So he himself built that. He built the Kotel higher. They couldn't figure out how to build such big stones, you know. They were, they were afraid the whole wall would fall over. So he put little stones on top. And it looks forever awful. That's Montefiore. Montefiore did that. And he was a, probably a nice man, but this was a big mistake. Because he didn't realize that in 1967 there'd be a wall. We'd get it back and we'd have to dig down. And the only reason they dug down, they had this fight, there's a machlokas with the, with the engineers, if they dig down any further, will the wall fall over? If the wall falls over, that would not be good. <laughs> that would be very distressing. But, what? No, I don't think that. I think that would be twice distressing, that they would not get rid of the bar. The bar would still be there, and the wall would fall over. So they only dug down ten rows, and they were thinking of propping it up, you know, putting some kind of... Uh, at the end, they didn't, they didn't do it. So Moshe Montefiore, when he came, he said, this is it. You know, this is what I came for. It's on the street. They're throwing out the garbage under the street. You're not allowed to dive them there because the Turks said that. And then later on, they, the British won't let you dive them there. And look at the wall. It's not so high. That's right. This is the whole thing. Shlomo HaMelech, you know, I came all the way to see this. He said, the least I can do is build it up a little so that's what he did he built you know he got permission because he was a very rich man you know rich, rich people can get permission to do all kinds of things and he built the, the wall he built the wall a little higher so that really this situation that we have today you can go any time of the day and night and David Milchan is a big Rachavad it's a large area and you can have a Hasidic minion, a Misnagdish minion, and a Tsiyanish minion, and every kind of minion in the world simultaneously davening at the Kotel. This is new. This is not something that we once had that we lost. This is something that we literally never had. It was never there. You see, if you look at the left of the Kotel, right? To the left? No, the left? Like you're standing face of the Kotel, and you look to the left, what do you see? You see houses. And if you look carefully, you see the houses are built right up against the wall. Well, that's what they did. They said, here's a wall. Here's a wall. So why should I build a house with four walls? I'll build a house with three walls. With one wall, I get for free. And so they all built houses right up against the cocoa. Right, right against the cocoa. And they also felt that, that it was a good thing to stress the Jews a little bit this way. So that's what, that's, what, that's what they did. And those houses are all there. Right? And 
and they're covered up you know the arches you know there's the Wilson arch you know the arches the arches were like like ramps into Harabite they were the ramps that took people into the Harabites and away from Harabites they built houses right on top of it on top of the ramps they didn't take it down or change it right they just used it they used it oh here's a here's a ramp so let's make like a, a vaulted living room you know so they, that's what they did they made a living room with a ramp in it and it was very nice it was a very nice thing so that like uh, well it may be it may be that this is a time of uh, that we live in a time of special bracha and that's the uh, that's the point of the the Balatun we have to see Yerushalayim as being uh, perhaps the source of our own times of that bracha and, and if we see it all the time or not we should remember when we say Berkha Samoza Bonei Yerushalayim right Bonei Yerushalayim is part of the Berkha Samoza because the Baruchah of the Chagim Sabatah Barakas Hashem Lekechah comes according to the Baratun when you see all of the the great Baruchah that they've given us because there's more than we need there are things that are left over and that's what we see today you know sometimes we see that we have more than we need and, and uh, we don't always know how to how to deal with that so that's it I have nothing else to say <laughs>